Thanks for tuning in to the Glossy Beauty Podcast. I'm your host, Priya Rao, Executive Editor at Glossy. And today's guest is Trini Woodall, the founder and CEO of Trini London. Welcome, Trini. Hello, and very nice to be here, Priya. Thank you for inviting me on. You know, it's been a minute since you and I last spoke over the phone, not on Zoom, but um, last time we spoke was pre-COVID, pre-Brexit. A lot has happened. And I'm just wondering, you know, as you kind of prepare for 2021 or kind of what your plans are throughout this year, what are you thinking about? Like, what lessons have you learned over the last year with COVID and Brexit and the millions of things that we've been faced with? Well, I think that it was very interesting last March. It was a very different space. And we went into last March, we'd done 350% growth um, 2018, 2019. So we were coming into the year very strong and excited and having really great, you know, long-term customer growth and all the things that we were looking for as benchmarks for our brand's growth. And I remember in March in the UK, and I think globally, everything sort of halted. You know, there was this real, oh my God, you know, people, if they were doing ad spend, turned it off. We stayed at home. We were really worried. And, you know, now we're a year, a little over a year away from that. Looking back, you forget it's like childbirth. You forget how um, you know, really tough it was. So there was all the changes in a company that suddenly we had to get everyone working virtually. And at the time, we're now 140 people. At the time, we were about 68 people. And getting those people comfortable to understand how to work most productively remotely. Then we looked at, let's just take a breather. You know, as a C-suite, we kind of thought about, so let's take a breather Um and, you know, see how it goes. We had cash at bank. We we were in a really high growth, but we just didn't know what lay ahead. And after about three weeks, no, even earlier than that, after about two weeks, we thought this is really interesting because people are still buying our makeup. And they're buying like, not like nothing's happened because so much had happened, but they they were buying. And, and that was very surprising because those first few days at home, you know, people were stocking up on food, you know, toilet paper, medical supplies were more important than anything else. But after a few days at home and people sitting at home, there was this kind of, what am I doing now? You know, and a lot of people, there, there wasn't a kind of new flow in how we were working from home. So there was that time and, you know, it was like, okay, what am I doing? Well, I'm reading the news 24 hours a day, that's killing me. So I think what happened for us, which is very interesting, is we decided... I knew there was always this customer who followed us on social media who hadn't yet converted. You know, they were that kind of classic in-store customer. And when you're a D2C brand, you can see where's our digital customer coming from? Where's that really savvy traditional retail but likes digital customer coming? And where is that customer who's always asking on social, when are you going to open up in Nordstrom? When are you going to open up in, you know, Barney's? poor Barney's now, but you know, those kind of things, those questions we would get on social media. And we thought as a brand, what can we do to make it easier? We see all these regular customers are buying. So we thought, let's um, launch virtual appointments. And the day I remember we launched them, 3,000 went in that one day. And, you know, we thought as a company, that's so interesting, because what we were saying is, you know, you're at home, just have that time, redeem all against purchase. And so all those customers waiting for us to come to a store were suddenly becoming customers in the most unlikely of circumstances. 
And, you know, this year we've also done, you know, we've grown from, we grew from 1 million at launch to 45 million, and this is pounds, so that's 60-something million dollars. Um, so, And that's revenue, right, Trini? That's revenue? That's revenue, yeah. So, so it's been thought-provoking, really interesting for looking at, at your strategy as a business, really interesting to look at, you know, we launched something which as a D2C brand, whether you're in a pandemic or not, you will have customers who want to bind to you as a brand and they're traditionally grazing in a retail environment. So it's about how do you create for them an environment that feels different? I'm not going to say better than retail because I don't want to say one is better than the other. They both offer very different experiences, but one way you feel your needs are met as a consumer in an online environment when you are a traditionally retail purchaser. So that to me is about bringing emotion into the journey. You know, it's about personalization, which is not gamification, but which makes it easier for the consumer to make choices because whether you're in a department store or whether you're at home, that paradox of choice that you can get from, you know, going onto a huge brand site where there's 300 lipsticks to choose from and you just think, how am I going to navigate it? Or I, you know, the times, you know, I'd used all this research from many women I spoke to in my days of making over women, you know, going up to a big brand in a department store and thinking, I don't know which foundation I am. And when I go outside, I'm orange, I'm green, I'm yellow, I'm paler, I'm darker. So to hold their hand so they could feel that experience could be the best experience for them to buy makeup. When you talk about these customers that were coming and converting, were these largely new customers to the brand, you know, back in March and April of last year? Yeah, we had very high new customer growth. And we've 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 been, you know, we've we've hovered from 60, 40, 50, 50, but we were really seeing this high proportion of new customer and also a really good returning. We have a very healthy returning customer. We have quite a low churn as a business. So the customer maybe who was already a customer was thinking, well, you know, I never tried that. So I'm sitting at home and I'd never really had a makeup lesson. I've, I'm 35 and I never knew how to do a smoky eye. Oh, actually, Trini London are offering that. I'd love to learn it, you know. And so that, that customer was coming on as well. You know, for the better part of, I would say, two or three years, we've heard that about this downturn in color cosmetics, right? You know, we can't keep comping on palettes or, you know, 40 shades or 50 shades of foundation, you know, just product launches. So I'm wondering, you know, what is it about your makeup experience that's different, at least from the customer point of view? I believe as a founder and as a real um, Trini London kind of methodology is we we want to create products for women that maybe they didn't realize they need, that we think this is something that they'd really need. But I don't want to be a range that goes in and says, okay, here's brow. Let's see of the 28 different variations of brow we can do. I feel because we have so much choice, it makes it harder and harder to decide what woman you are and what you want to buy. So 50% of our customers do match to me. So they go in and we ask them their skin, hair and eye because that combination for me, as I look at you, Priya, you know, I see you have a, a, a deep caramel skin tone, you've got a rich brown eye and you've got a, a mid brown hair. So you on my thing, I think, are you neutral, cool, warmish? You know, what's that combination? And we built this algorithm on Match to Me to be able to analyze. So then of the 150 SKUs we have, you might be offered 60 that really suit you. So then you can think, OK, from that, 
I've been, so do I trust Trini London as a brand that these do suit me? So that's the first thing you've got to do is you've got to build that trust. And trust to me is built by, and it's an, a very overused word, but it's built by um, a true authenticity of what you offer a customer. So, you know, we made a decision that we wouldn't use models on our site. We would use real women. We have a lookbook area, which is another way of, of refining what you want to choose. And there's 140 women on it. They range from 18 to 83 years of age. Those photographs are not touched up, touched up beauty shots. They're kind of, this is the woman and these are the four or five different looks that she's got. And I think that resonated too with people, you know, that they feel they can find themselves in the brand. And, you know, when I grew up, there were many brands that were incredibly influential and phenomenal brands. And you bought into the brand, all right? You, you wanted to be the Lancome girl, the Chanel girl, the whatever, you know, you, you wanted to be this woman. And I think that from the get-go, we feel our brand is about you as a woman. And how do you want to feel today? And who do you want to be today? And let's help you get there. So, yeah, that would be it. <laughs> Trini, you know, you have been a personality in the UK for quite some time. You know, obviously, you're on who, what not to wear. You've made over women, um, like you said, for years and wrote a, a pretty prominent column in The Telegraph. Um, talking about fashion and style and makeover. So, you know, this approach of focusing on the woman versus focusing on yourself seems very different than I would say a lot of the other influencers or celebrities who are launching beauty brands today. Will you talk a little bit about that? I think um, that when I started in my career from six years of age, I did makeovers on girls in my boarding school, you know, and I think I got the bug then of how you could transform how a person feels by these different aspects, by doing their makeup, their hair, their clothing. So I spent 20 years kind of refining that, you know. I did lots of TV shows in many different countries. And I think what I found really interesting is, because I film shows in 16 countries, is that as much as the outward appearance of those women was, whether it was um, skin tone, race, you know, religion, um, kind of a lot of Scandinavian and Dutch countries, it's like they have an expression of don't put your head up above the poppies, don't be a tall poppy, you know, that kind of sort of emotive thing of don't stand out, you know. And I dealt with 5,000 women over 20 years just talking to me about what that felt like for them. And that is everything that has gone into Trini London, you know, those kind of voice inside my head. So I'm not really an influencer who's launched a brand. I think I knew I always would launch a brand and it was just the timing was right. I think I'd learned enough. Um, I had experience enough as a businesswoman and understanding women. And I'd had this idea for five years. You know, I'm sure many entrepreneurs you speak to, Priya, it's not like you had the idea six months before and then you launch it. You know, it's like that idea has been sitting with you. And it's like, when is the time right for you to take that jump and be that entrepreneur and grow that brand. So in 2017, what did the market look like? Because, you know, digital brands today are kind of a dime a dozen and they're launching at such a fervent pace. So when you were starting to sell makeup online, it was pretty novel, you know, as a standalone company, not part of a Sephora launch or an Ulta launch or, you know, yeah. part of a conglomerate. Yeah. I mean, there was basically Glossier and there was Milk. Um, at that time. And they were both more Gen X, Gen Z brands. 
And so for me, it was how do you get to as many women as possible immediately? And I think the reason I decided to be D2C is I like the idea you could personalize women more than you could in store. I like the idea you could control the journey for the woman so she got exactly the same. Wherever she was, she got that same experience. So by being online and going through Match to Me, she'll get the same experience. And that you could, from day one, ship to all those countries and capitalize in a way on on the, the name awareness that I had to a certain extent in certain territories. And it was a small name awareness because it had been a few years since I'd done television. I had stopped really doing TV to focus on this. It was, you know, three years in the making. So by the time I was launching, vaguely, people might remember my name. So it was really important to then, for those territories who had, that they could be those early supporters and and, and grow the message of what Trinity London was about. So many D2C brands, Glossier included, and Milk, as you just mentioned, have now entered physical retail, um, yep. whether through their own stores or through partners like a Sephora. Why have you stayed the course? It's about lifetime customer value and churn. And I think that when you are in um, a market where maybe the audience is much younger, um, you are looking for that higher churn because because people go through things and then go on to the next. So you want to grab them, you want to develop more products and stuff. So you'll reach a kind of ceiling of people you can get to through social. So then you think, okay, let's start going into store. And also there was a bit of research I remember reading when I was over in the States like 18 months ago about is Generation Z actually enjoying a store experience more than Generation the millennials, all right, they were, they were kind of into that going back into store experience. So then maybe it was, it was a mixture of those two things. I'm not the CEO of either, but looking from outside, I would, I would imagine a few of those things were going on. So for me, I felt I want to grow with a customer who is going to be an endlessly returning customer. You know, she's going to, it might take her a while to get into the brand, but once she's there, she's there. She's found she's found the brand that she can live the rest of her life with kind of thing. You know, that to me, that, that is building a, a, a company on bricks and not on a bit of uneven quicksand. You know, I just, and I just knew for me where I was at, I needed that. I needed to know that I would, you know, because I remember when I was, you know, that second fundraise I did and we'd launched and it was like, oh, you have a ton of returning customers, but are there new customers coming? And I was like, yeah, they'll be coming. They're coming, they're coming, they're coming. And it was also the time, not just in this vertical, but if we look at things like Casper Mattress and, and the book that come out that time, Blitzkrieg or, you know, that, that kind of like how to really, you know, huge accelerated growth. I looked at it all and I thought that's so interesting and crazy. And a lot of people are getting huge raises and just going mad getting customer acquisition. But how long are the customers going to stay? So... For me, it was about, I want to know the customers are going to stay and I want to get those customers carefully. So from the outset, if I look at the difference, and there are many, many DC brands now in our area for our sort of ageless beauty and inclusivity, I would say there are not so many people out there that I think do what we do. In fact, I don't know really anyone else who does exactly what we do of offering this personalized handholding journey and delivering you products that are incredibly easy. Um, to use and giving you that immediate confidence and having a place where you don't have to 
buy into the brand to be accepted by the brand. You know what I mean? It's like, it's going to bring you, you know, it's going to come to you. It's going to come to you. That's the difference. Trini, I have so many questions there. You know, one thing that you just mentioned, and you've said a few times, is about the churn rate and the repeat customer rate. Mm -hmm. You know, obviously you guys are about to hit 60 million in revenue. What can you tell us about that churn and that repeat customer? The repeat customer is phenomenal. I mean, when when we, um, you know, we have a lovely um, investor, Unilever, and, um, and I think that I don't want to speak for them what they love about the brand, but I know that when we go over and we go back each year and they just say, you know, that cohort, that long-term cohort, we all, we all love that long-term cohort. And when we look at our kind of graphs and my lovely COO does these kind of like, where's that long-term cohort sitting and what percentage of them are purchasing now? And it's very much above the industry standard. Um, Any other details you can share to me? <laughs> it's like, I would say it's double the industry standard. It's it's really significant. And so that's very exciting for me. And if I look five years from now in the future and I look back, you know, there's different ways people decide to build businesses and it could all come to the same place after seven or eight years and we can all decide different ways to get there. But I kind of knew that for me, I wanted to have that long-term cohort incredibly strong. And so we have developed things with that intention. And, you know, our North Star metric is new customer acquisition, which it is, which for a brand, it should always be. You know, that is a very important because you need new people to tell new people to tell new people about your product. Um, and to, you know, so I don't know if I've answered it enough for you, but that's <laughs> what I'm prepared to say. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm wondering, you know, about this older customer that you've spoken a little bit or ageless customer that you've spoken about, you know, I know it's targeted or when you launch, it was targeted at, you know, 35 plus. And, you know, historically, I mean, that customer has been a very loyal customer, you know, like Gen X, uh, boomers have been very loyal to the brands that they love. I think about yeah. my mother, she's still wearing Elizabeth Arden. I think about my mother-in-law, she's still wearing Clinique, you know? Yeah. And I could send them all the products in the world. But I'm wondering, you know, was that also a strategy? Because even as we find with older millennials, they are gravitating, myself included, to the brands that actually work, that are efficacious, that have proven themselves and are not necessarily dabbling in, in everything. Yeah. I think we have three or four distinct customers. We definitely have that customer who's like your mother. And she's somebody who has come to us because the emotive message in which we speak to our audience has resonated with her. We've told a story that she's identified with. Um, you know, we did some ads recently where we just say, you know, you know, have you worn the makeup for a long time? Is it is it time to rethink your routine? Consider blah, blah, blah. It's not, it shouldn't be dictatorial. It should be a suggestion. But it's like, think about this in your life and just set that little seed. And so those customers, you know, we have phenomenal testimonials of people who said, you know, I've used the same thing for years and I've come over and it's like, it's been a revelation. People say, have I changed my skincare routine? Because suddenly their skin feels incredible and looks fantastic. And lots of people are commenting. And so they feel so, you know, effusive to tell us back, you know, what's what's happened. Um, so the younger customer is the customer who in a way is rejecting this kind of 
huge trend of, of a lot of makeup on your face and, and cake and bake and, and that whole explosion that we had sort of seven or 10 years ago of this really you know, beautifully embraced, you know, wear lots of makeup. It's fun. It's joyful. You can be who you want to be. But we tell that in a different story. And I think there's a lot of women out there who feel, I don't quite want to be. I want to be what I see as me in the mirror, um, but with a little help as opposed to, I've got 19 friends on my face, you know, <laughs> helping me to be somebody else. So, so I, th I think that was, that message resonated with that girl in her 20s, you know, who had friends around who might have been doing so much makeup. And she just thought, I just, I want to do it, you know, but I just don't want to do it quite like that. And, and, and then she told her mom as well. So we have a lot of three generational customers, you know, the sort of the daughter tells the mom who tells her mother, you know, who's 75 and says, is it too late for me to rethink? We go, never. There is definitely an audience that has been ignored a little bit. Like, you know, when I grew up, all beauty was about, be, was, was sold to me um, by women in their 20s, you know, totally. I'm, I'm, I'm 57, so but by women, yeah, in their 20s. Then it was by women in their teens when I was kind of 30. You know, it got younger because a lot of the models and those very famous, fabulous models who was the faces of beauty brands were, were really young when they were discovered and they were like, so fabulous, let's be the face of this big brand. And then you had some very big beauty companies who kind of put their stake in the ground, said, you know, we have Jane Fonda doing this age and we have Heron Millen doing this age, you know, and those kind of things, which were great to sort of say, hey, they these women exist, they shouldn't be ignored. Um, but I think, and I think that's, the best thing, because I don't think women should ever be judged on age, ever. I think it's just, you know, to get to a stage where a woman you feel it is the advertising of all these products around me talking to me. Do they know I exist? That's not a great place to feel as a woman. You know, you kind of want to feel you're acknowledged as a woman you are today. Um, so I think it's the beauty industry is evolving. Um, and I think that we've got now an industry where everyone's having to rethink. You know, I think, I think COVID has made every retail brand have to rethink as well. Would you say that that older or, you know, more mature customer is represented enough in the beauty industry today? Because it seems mm, no like... Way. <laughs> no way. I thought I mean, you, no I, way. I mean... You're seeing all these brands now kind of targeting, whether it's in hair or skincare or makeup, you know, they're talking about menopause, they're talking about perimenopausal, you know, they're talking about all of these things that, you know, but that, but that, yes, I, it's like, I think it's interesting because from my experience, I feel women don't want to be put in a box. So I'm very interested when, you know, I'll have big chats on my skincare Q&A on Facebook every Wednesday and there'll be a lot of women there in all different stages in life. I do a menopause one, you know, talking about, you know, what happens to us in the menopause. That's a, definitely a big one. But I don't know how much they want to buy a cream which says for the menopausal woman, you know, because that's <laughs> putting them in a box. It's Absolutely. like, that's the thing. So I don't think women want something that reinforces the age they are, but I want the... I don't think they should do something that reinforces the age they are, but I think they want to feel it will work for them. And those are two different messages. Would you say that the same thing applies to the way brands are handling diversity and inclusion right now? 
Because, you know, I think some of the things that you're saying is that, you know, you don't want to be separate. You want to be equal. You want to be together. And, you know, a lot of these brands today and retailers are also are separating or segregating those customers. How do you do it? Why? Why? It's like <laughs> we're all women, you know, we're all women and, and we are a predominantly female brand. So I use the word woman. Um, but we are, you know, from day one to me, we are appealing to women regardless of their age, skin tone, religion, whatever. It should be irrelevant. It should be irrelevant because you want to appeal to how a woman is feeling and, and those feelings are nothing to do with age or skin tone. Nothing. I mean, you know, there could be things attached to those. She's feeling old or she's feeling excluded. Um, yeah. So from the get go, I want every single woman to feel we include her. You're in 160 countries, correct? Yeah, 167, I think. <laughs> 167 different countries. Yeah. And you have such name recognition in Europe and the UK. I'm wondering where your customers are coming from right now. Are they largely from the UK and Europe or are you seeing a broader swath? Because I know, you know, the US is very much more on your mind. Yes, it is. We have... 59% from the UK and the rest is international. So we have about 15% from Australia. We have about 11% from the US. We have um, about, we do Germany, Austria and um, Switzerland. We've recently done a localized site for a German speaking audience, which is between those about 100 million people. And we want to grow that from 2.8%. We did this year of those countries to 8% this year. So we, we look at the fact that we are sold everywhere, but we want to have a focus each year on where we're going to grow that market. And there's a few different ways that we look at growing markets. So we're not a classic influencer-driven brand. Um, we have a, a tribe of women who are called the Trini Tribe. And the Trini Tribe is this community that started just as we launched. And it was started by a woman in Northwest England called Kelly. And she just followed me. And when I launched the makeup, she was trying to make up. And she just said on Facebook, is anyone else loving what's going on here? And she had lots of responses. So this tribe now is 78,000 women in 33 tribes in 16 countries. And these are probably our greatest advocates. They're different from a social media following. And in a way, when we talked seven years ago about the concept of the influencer and the micro-influencer, these women probably are that, but in a way that I truly feel a community should be, which is born independently from a brand. And they are our greatest um, champion and our harshest critic. So we learn tremendous amounts from them. And they're all on Facebook, Instagram, mainly Facebook. And they, you know, they chat about everything. But the feeling and the, and, and the, the trend grew exponentially during, um, during COVID. And I think the reason for that is that as women... We, you know, the, the kind of call to action that I would say to her, because I might just say, how are you feeling today on my social? And we do this also on Trini London on our social. It's like days we wake up as women, we want the people around us to accept us for the woman that we are today, not the daughter they think we should be or the mother they think we should be or the sister they think we should be or the husband or wife thinks us should be, you know. And if you want to meet a group of women who will accept you for the woman that you want to be today then join a Trini tribe. So our contribution was to 
you know, and then lots of women have grown tribes. So like our East Coast tribe is is predominantly out of New York. There's 6,000 members. Our West Coast tribe is 5,000, 5,500 members, mainly out of San Francisco and LA. Um, and we've got, I think we have eight tribes in America or, or six tribes in America. So that to me is is the, the groundswell of women who are loving it and talking to other women and talking about other things and feeling that Trini London offers them more than just makeup. To stand out as a brand, you need to offer more than just the product. How does the brand work with these tribes? You know, you said they're independent. It's not like a brand-sponsored Facebook page or Slack community. So how involved do you get with them? And what happens when, you know, a launch doesn't go over well or um, a marketing push isn't communicated in the way that they would like it to be seen? Mm -hmm. So... The way the tribes work when we are in a non-COVID world is, let's say, for example, we want to launch Australia. So we went to Australia first because it might seem the furthest away for many countries, but it had an audience who knew me a bit and they were buying very organically. And we got shipments to Australia in two to three days. And they loved the fact from day one we included them. And that gave us tremendous amounts of goodwill. And those tribes grew. And then I went to Sydney and we did a tribe event and there were like 400 women in this room and they were just fantastic. The energy in the room was incredible and we filmed it all. And, and I think 99% of them feel the impact on their lives of being a part of that tribe. So they are forgiving to us if we do things that don't work out. And also the only way you can have a tribe like that being honest and forgiving or, that you know, we don't need them to be forgiving. It's more, we're very candid with them, you know? Like if we, we were going to launch something um, and we had sort of, I don't know if we'd even sent out them, but we decided to put the launch off because the product wasn't right. And I suddenly said, look, we can't launch this. It's not perfect. And we sent them all an email because there's admins on the Facebook pages and those are the women that, you know, we kind of communicate with. And we just said, we're really sorry. We we tried, you know, we thought it'd be great. And we've, we've had to dump all the stock. It's cost us a lot as a business. And um, it, wasn't, it wasn't good enough for you guys. So they appreciate candor. They really appreciate candor. And I think no com communities do not like having, not being a part of the story. You know, if they're that vested, they want to feel they're considered. That's the most important thing is that those women feel considered in our journey. Um, so we do make them feel considered. I do like... Um, we have a sort of newsletter and I do a bit of content every month, which is just for them. And it's really personal. It's about my journey doing different things. And I talk about quite personal things and they feel I'm trusting them enough that I will share these quite intimate things with them. And so we have this kind of real trust. And I think that's key to have that trust. So they, you, you know, they will, you know, they'll have on it, they'll talk very objectively about products and what they think. And have you tried this? And, you know, so we get all that feedback and we read all the comments and, you know, there will be, oh, I don't know, I've tried that, I'm not sure. And, you know, we just let that thread go. You know, you, if you plug a thread of people having a discussion, you cut off their air. And you mustn't cut off their air. Would you say that, you know, this 
way of working with, you know, brand advocates or customers is better than say, you know, these branded pages that we're seeing because I I'm a, a part of a bunch of them just for work purposes and it does seem like, you know, there may be an organic conversation going on about XYZ product and then all of a sudden some brand moderator comes in and says like, "Oh, have you tried this?" So I'm wondering yeah. how you kind of balance We're really yeah, we're very strict. We're very strict about what we do. So if there's a query which we can help with, we'll come in and just say, oh, you know, all of you are asking about this, blah, blah. But if they're having a conversation, we don't interrupt them. That's not right. When a community is started organically, you're really excited that somebody wants to start a community because they love the brand so much. And you want to let them have their independence. And you want them to feel, you know, so what we do is 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 the there's 28... Um, um, admi- admins, we call them ambassadors. They're allowed to have, um, f- they, they get a discount off products. And when we launch a new product, they get to have it a few days before. But that's, you know, 28 of the 76,000 members. And we do that because it takes some time to be an admin and they're giving up their time and they enjoy it because they get a lot from it. But we want to say thank you. So it's very, it's very delicate. And I think that it goes back to this word authenticity. You know, if you, if, you, uh, if you want to, if you're a young beauty brand and you're just starting out, if somebody's watching, you know, listening to this podcast and they're a young beauty brand, they're thinking about all these things, you know, think about how important community is to be able to be objective and, and maintain its objectivity about you as a brand at the same time loving and supporting you. I read the London Press the other day and obviously I saw, you know, what you, what you shared about your own hair loss during COVID. And I'm wondering, yeah. you know, if that maybe is a seed for new launches, because I know expansion and new category expansion is on your mind uh, beyond skincare and makeup. And um, just wondering what, if there is a through line there, or if I may be just imagining it. I think that when I come up with what shall our next vertical be, so I have on the wall here what the next two verticals are. Okay, I know what they are. But you can't tell us. You can't tell us. And we're developing them (laughs) and, you know, it's very exciting. But I think that this is where a kind of very experienced businessman would go, what do you mean nose in the air? All right. It's that woman's intuition moment. So when I sometimes think of new ideas for things, it just comes out of nowhere. And I, so, so when I was thinking of, I have a product called De-Stress and it's, I was just looking at this skincare makeup hybrid market thinking, okay, really? (laughs) Um, What should it really be? You know, and, and can I change, you know, I want something I can use at the end, which gives me this protection, which reduces my stress. So I then went on this journey of looking at the effect of stress on the skin. And I went on a one-year journey of looking at all the research and then another year and a half developing this product. Um, so, and and a lot of those things are born out of my experience. So, you know, that's probably many female founders, men probably too, but I, many female founders that I speak to, you know, it's like there was a gap in the market. I wanted this, so I made it. You know, it's Victor Kayam, you know, original tagline, which I'm fortunate I can't even remember now, but he's probably, not many people remember him. Um, and so that does. So things like, you know, I have, you know, I do think, okay, what, you know, I'm, I'm now, because of something's happened to me, researching the market, what's out there, who's talking about, how did they talk about it? What solutions they're giving? How confusing is it? So I'm now excited to look at all that stuff. Now, where it fits in in our future, I have no idea. But 
when I go on a journey of what comes next, it generally will start with, this is something I'm really feeling. Because when I do anything to do with a new product or a new launch of a new vertical, I have to have lived and breathed that experience. This is me as an entrepreneur. Many entrepreneurs will never have needed the need for the product that they're the CEO of. But for me, as an entrepreneur, I kind of need that, you know. I need to feel that because that's what allows me to then really just like my whole face glows and lights up when I'm talking about it. How important do you think the personalization piece and the technology piece is going to be to those new launches or new verticals? Because, you know, that's one thing that we've seen certainly in the last year is this upping of the ante, right? You know, everybody's trying to outdo each other. Now, all of a sudden, AR technology, VR technology is supposedly better than it was, you know, two years ago. And I'm wondering for you, you know, your your quiz, your diagnostic is very, you know, focused on hair, skin, eyes. You know, is that going to be evolving with, with product? I've got 41 people working on that right now. So it's the most important thing for me, personalization. It has a long way to go. I think during COVID that a lot of people needed to pivot very quickly and they did quickly. Let's put virtual try-on on our site because the customers weren't coming in store. And then I noticed when I was looking at different sites, they, were, they didn't know how prominent to make it because they were so unused to having a personalization on their site that some of them hid it. Some of them did it as the main thing. They, it was like, it was really interesting just to see how comfortable do they all feel around this because it's not something that's been at the top of their agenda. And from the get-go, Trinity London has been about personalized portable makeup. And for us, it's how we evolve that. And I feel, I look at virtual try-on, I think it's interesting. Sometimes I think is it gamification. I think whatever personalization is, it needs to be incredibly emotive. It needs to take a woman on a journey and it needs to make her feel at the end there's a really good solution that's totally for her. So what the team are working on now is a extension of what we consider personalization this year and next year, a further extension of that personalization with different verticals. So it's it's really at the forefront and it is very important that it it feels connecting for people using it, not just a little quiz. You mentioned a second ago that, you know, there are so many options and there is so much choice, which I feel overwhelmed with all the time. And, you know, I cover this industry and I'm wondering, you know, when you think about personalization, when you think about customization, is there a world that, you know, you are mixing different foundation types for different people or creating palettes and skincare products that go that extra mile? Like, because I don't know if the customer does actually want that? Well, I think that, you know, we've seen with hair brands that level of personalization. We've seen it with Prouvé. We've seen it with the hair brand my, my daughter uses of shampoo just for you with your name on it. And you put in these ingredients. You're feeling it's just for you. You know, behind the system is an automation of, we'll add this, we'll take this away. But there's a finite amount of how personalized that is. And I think for a certain customer, you know, my daughter loves that kind of, let me put these all in. I feel I'm making it all myself. And, and it's a really expensive hair care brand. I'm like, oh God, you know, but she loves that. And so she convinces me, please, can I get it? Because it's, it's really looking out for my hair. So I think there's a place in it because with tremendous amounts of competition, you want to feel that brand talks to you and personalization can achieve that and break through a lot of noise. 
but it has to work. And personalization is not always, it's about what products you use. It's also about other things, which I won't go into now because that's about next year. But yeah, I think it's, there's another level to it, which hasn't really been out there yet. So you believe that personalization does extend to this marketing piece? Because I I do think what you're saying, you know, when you're talking about your daughter, you know, you see some of these hair brands out there, it's all just marketing. You know, it's not really for you. It's just that you got to pick an apple scent or a pear scent or, you know. But you think personalization does extend to the marketing piece and the way that people communicate? I think it I think it does. And I think there's certain like I remember speaking to the founders at um at Women's Wear Daily's um beauty weekend they had in New York and they were talking about how they literally on they had developed a um a line, you know, a, a, a filling line which could you really personalize every single person's thing. And I thought that's incredible. That's a huge back end, that's a whole rebuilding of a fulfillment platform. Um, so there's that kind of personalization, but the other personalization is about you feel they've thought about you as a person. So it brings back the emotion. It brings back how confident are you as a person? What do you feel? You know, how much dedication do you have? How many minutes a day do you want to spend getting ready? You know, all those little things which are really, really important because it's the kind of conversation that you might have at a counter with a woman you really get on with behind the counter at a brand. And when you have that little connection, that that foisters on you a loyalty. I remember I went to Lord & Taylor in 1978 and I bought Clinique Three Step and I walked into that store, so sad it's gone, and there was this counter and there was this slider and I thought, oh my God. And this woman, my mother had taken me to lots of dermatologists in England and had had beautiful skin all her life and didn't understand spots. This woman behind me said, okay, let's look at you and let's figure out who you are and what you've done and what you haven't done and let's find you a solution. And that moment made me loyal to Clinique for 10 years, that moment. Trini, you had a banner year last year, you know, obviously 60 million in revenue, jumping to that level as a young D2C brand is is phenomenal. So I'm wondering what your growth forecasts and targets are for this year? Like, you know, how are you going to do it again? I think we want to grow the community. We, We know the targets we want to achieve this year. Um, and, you know, we've grown three times every year, you know, so I, I feel we're not, we're between, we're not startup anymore. You know, we are an early growth business. So we'll see what this year brings. I feel that there's very, very exciting things happening later in the year and next year. And I feel that's going to broaden our market even more. So I'm really excited by this year. Very excited. And by next year, because I just got it all. I keep looking over there because I have it all on the wall. (laughs) I know. I wish we could just move that Zoom over just a little bit. But thank you so much, Trini, for being here. It was so wonderful having you. So lovely to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Glossy Beauty Podcast. Tune in next week for another episode. And of course, that means if you haven't subscribed, please hit that button.